0: Everything is Awesome is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, movie, and geek podcasts. Check out some of our other shows like TV Ate My Brain, Let's
1: Chat with Revelin Friends, and Podstalgic at courtsandparts.com. Awesome. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Is Awesome. I am your host, Kevin. This is a show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. Uh, if you're listening to this, we are—we're uh, we're finally caught up from the the end of summer, uh, end of summer blitz, we'll call it, I guess, where where we got fell a little behind because of all the vacations we took, um, but we're back. Uh, things are good. Uh, You can find us on awesomepodcast.com, at realawesomepod on facebook.com, and and of course Twitter, uh, at awesomepodcast on Instagram. You can uh, also find us on the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network on coretemparts.com. We are speaking with a fellow podcaster this week. Uh, He is the host of Tough Love, please welcome to the show, Robert Candle. Robert, how are you doing? good. Good,
0: thanks so much for having me on your show.
1: Uh, yeah, no. Thank you for doing this show, um, and we—it's uh, been a while since we've done a um, like a uh, random um, podcast interview, uh, fellow podcasters. I love talking to other podcasters because uh, you—it's ca- easy to, mm-hmm. I think, interview one another because we just know what what to do.
0: True, true enough. Uh,
1: so why don't we kick off with um, telling us a little bit about uh, your pet pod- yeah, your podcast Tough Love.
0: I've been doing the podcast for close to two years. I was in, uh, I did workshops for about 12 years and, and I left the company I built and was doing workshops on my own and then got really sick of the entire process. Not the teaching, but the enrollment. And I said, I, I still have something I wanted to say. And so I kind of took my focus off running workshops into running the podcast. And uh it's been a blast ever since. It's it was really an experiment in the beginning, but has become my platform for teaching.
1: So so where as far as podcasting goes, where's where's your origin point to that? Like what led you to um the world of podcasting?
0: I, I've always been a fan of podcasts uh, for a long time, and, but never really thought about doing one until I hit this frustration point with running workshops. And then I was like, it really was an innocent thought of like, well, why don't I just do a podcast? It kind of came out that in my head. And I gave myself um, you know, six shows to start, and that was so much fun. I did another six, and then I've been doing it ever since, and I think I just published number 87 or 88. So uh, it's been a really great experience.
1: Yeah, podcasting is one of those things that um, I think is just totally creatively fulfilling. If you're a creative person, or if you just like to talk, or if you have a message to put out there, mm-hmm. uh, it is the. Even though it cost, I've been doing it for ten years now. It costs wow. a lot of money. Uh, people, you know, it's the it's the it's the least expensive. Um, uh, I think medium to Mm -hmm. tell your story but it's also the most expensive hobby you're ever going to have because it is uh, it's not cheap uh, if if you want to do it at a high quality
0: true very very true i just spent six hundred dollars on microphones so i know what you're talking about
1: (laughs) yeah it's uh it's that's always the fun uh part of being uh, a podcaster too is like kind of looking at what you have and like well let's see i can tweak this and that Mm -hmm. like we just we just went through and uh noted like what upgrades we wanted to make just because eh, it's been a while since we upgraded and uh, yeah if you uh it can get pricey um Uh, But that being said, it's also how when you when you first started out podcasting, did you jump right in buying all the equipment you needed to buy or did you kind of start off um, in in an inexpensive route?
0: Oh, a disaster in terms of podcasting quality. I was living in Venice Beach, California. I had wooden floors. I had tall ceilings. I had a dog named Finnegan next door. I had a fire station about three blocks away, and so my podcast was, sound quality was awful. Um, and I don't think I even used a microphone. I think I just used, you know, my laptop in front of me. And so my first six to eight episodes, the sound quality is abysmal. So I just learned, and I started asking questions, and uh, got a microphone as a Christmas present. Um, so, it's yeah, it's been a total um, uh, change and morph as I've gotten more and more knowledgeable knowledgeable about it
1: yeah it's it's something that um you know it's it's you can do it with with the bare necessities and uh and depending on if if you go into it with the bare necessities and no knowledge it's you know you're gonna have that sound quality that's that's a little lower but i would say almost every podcast even this one this this podcast uh this episode is i believe 84 Or eighty five, and uh, but I've been doing it for much longer than that. But so so, you know, I would say I was probably about eight years in when I started this podcast. And uh, even then, like the first ten episodes was like a a learning experience because it was a new format, uh, doing things a bit differently, new hardware, new software, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's one of those things that I think is always just kind of a learning experience. You never stop learning. Um, new like tricks of podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and it's interesting to hear that I, cause I've never even thought to sit down and like just use my laptop to record a podcast, mm-hmm. uh, without like the external microphone. I, it's to me when I think of, cause you know, it's, I love to, I scare people away, uh, what by, by talking about costs, but I also like to say that, you know, it is, you can do it on your phone. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the great things. Uh, about podcasting today is that you can literally um, use your phone if you had to. True enough. Uh, so, so what, what, let's let's talk about you. What where to, um where what's your personal art and story?
0: Wow. Well, I've had a very interesting life, <clears throat> and uh, I considered myself I was normal until I was around twenty eight. Uh, corporate America, San Francisco, married, uh, working a corporate job you know, working nonstop, my wife and I were kind of passing each other. And, you know, I was really going down the yuppie road that my father had taught me. And then my wife at the time, we're divorced now, but my wife said, hey, um, you know, do you want to go to Burning Man? And I was like, and this is 1998, before Burning Man was as big as it is now, both in popularity and size, and I was like, I don't know, Burning Man is kind of for those people, those hippies and massage therapists, and, and I, I had seen a picture book with a bunch of people in mud. And, but I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I, kind of, I went there and the strangest thing happened was that I got out of my car and the words, I am home, popped in my head. And this new side of me started to evolve that was unexpected. And it really taught me that there was a whole new side. So I started taking workshops, I started to explore my sexuality, I started to uh, do things like the Landmark forum. I really did some internal investigation and saw there was this whole side of me that I had never seen before. And then in 2004 with a good friend of mine, started a company called One Taste. And one taste, taught about relationship, intimacy, communication, and sexuality. Did that for 10 years, built it from a paper napkin sketch to an international eight-figure firm, and then left in 2014, totally burned out, uh, ready for the next thing, landed in Venice Beach, California, and restarted my life. And now I'm a business coach, life coach, podcaster, and writing a book proposal for my first book.
1: So, uh something I want to I want to go back and touch on uh is is something that I've heard of but I've never never really even explored uh you know, for, listen listening to other podcasts I've heard them talk about Burning Man. What mm-hmm. what exactly is Burning Man?
0: Well, Burning Man, I haven't been in 10 years, so my my information is antiquated, but I assume okay. it's pretty similar. Right. Um so it is a festival in the desert. It started in San Francisco I think 20 25 years ago with a a guy broke up with his girlfriend and could not get over it. So he had a celebration with his friends where he burnt a man in effigy uh, to kind of deal with his sorrow. And it was so much fun. They went back to the next year, and then eventually uh, it turned from 3, 5, 10 people to I think there's 70,000 people that uh, congregate in the desert, in the Nevada desert, for 10 days to celebrate to bring art to party to drink to do drugs and it the peak is on saturday night where they burn this hundred foot man i'm actually not sure of the size but a hundred foot man uh they burn him and it's just a big party in the desert
1: that is uh sounds like at the same time one of the coolest and craziest things i've mm-hmm. ever heard of yeah um l- l- hearing about it, it i've you know it, it always seemed like it was kind of a big party thing but i uh, I didn't know the deeper message behind it but in, you know, until now,
0: well, for me, it was a spiritual awakening i mean i I really credit getting out of this comfort zone, going into the desert, and it led to the most uh the first honest conversation I'd ever had in my entire life with my wife at the time around my desire around my sexuality it was it was a a place where I could actually speak the truth, and that one conversation totally changed my life and changed the direction. Of it, and so it was a really great experience for me.
1: And so, so before you you started doing all these um, speaking events and, and whatnot, what what was what, what were you doing?
0: I was trained as a biomedical engineer from grad school. I went into the computer business in the mid '90s, right when personal computers were starting. Um, and then I was a computer consultant, uh, going into downtown firms and building databases for them. And then, uh, like I said, went to Burning Man and everything Etch-a-Sketched and migrated from a computer geek into someone who became a men's teacher and a sexuality teacher and a relationship teacher and a life coach. So total Etch-a-Sketch from geek to teacher.
1: How long did that transition take? Like, was it something instant or a slow burn?
0: No, it took about five years, actually. Uh, my start started when I was 29 and then I opened up my business and when I was 34, so it was a five year, you know, learning and researching and getting trained and having my own ass kicked, uh, about my own ego and my own viewpoints. So I had a five year experience of switching.
1: And when you started your company, what was, you know, the goal there? What, What were you, uh, doing with that?
0: The goal was to make an impact in terms of how people viewed their relationship and intimacy and sexuality. And it was really a way to bring into the forefront all the blocks people have really about relating to their desire. And so we had a mission to wake the world up in terms of, hey, you know, this isn't working. This isn't working for men. This isn't working for women. And we have some skills we think that might help. And so that's what we did.
1: So, what would be like the typical? Would you would like people come to you? You go to them, uh, like for like a, a speaking event, combination of both.
0: We started off with a center in San Francisco, and so people would come to our center in San Francisco. At the peak, uh, when I before I left, the peak we had nine cities uh, internationally. One in London. Uh, we were also building affiliates in different countries, but uh, we had you know workshops all over the world teaching our technology of how to be a better lover, how to better be a better partner, and how to be a better communicator.
1: And were these, were the people that were coming to these workshops or mm-hmm. seeking your help, were they people in troubled relationships or just, conf- like, w- what made someone come to you guys?
0: The gambit. I mean, really was from people in great relationships who wanted to expand what they had, to single guys who were virgins in their 20s and 30s to couples that were so far gone in terms of how to relate to each other um you know every every different kind of, we we were kind of shocked because we thought we'd have more of a kind of a narrow demographic but we really attracted so many different people which just showed to me that pretty much across the board people are have questions about their relationships and better about questions about their communication and sexuality so uh, it was amazing touching all these different uh, people and different demographics.
1: And is what would you say the the differences you know between say say what you guys are doing or did and a, and a, and like a traditional therapy like what what would um, what would draw someone to one or the other?
0: I have a great respect for therapists. I have a great therapist myself that gets my head clear. And therapy, uh, from my understanding, and there's many different modalities of therapy, but it's really you're trying to fix a problem. We believed, we had the model of you're good and let's take it better. And so it was life coaching, it was it was encouragement, it was teaching people that they were doing it right. We were teaching a specific skill, uh, specific sexual practice to help people. And so there's uh, significant limitations in therapy and uh, some people were not suited for our work. We would send them to therapists. But really, we have a, a very different approach of practically teaching people how to commun- communicate better and how to be better in bed. Uh,
1: so, so you had working relationships with therapists. Did, mm-hmm. it, okay. Well, here's an interesting: uh, th- did did therapists have that same like relationship with you guys where they would realize that the people came to them needed you guys versus therapy?
0: We had some, I wouldn't call it a very common thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some some therapists just didn't understand what we were doing or maybe didn't even like what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So I would not call that a common thing. It happened a few times, but not often.
1: And then, so what made you decide to to leave this behind?
0: I was basically burnt out um, after 10 years of building the company, 70 to 80-hour weeks, pretty much nonstop for 10 years. I mean, some vacations, but very few. The stress, um, I was overweight. My health was diminishing. I was traveling nonstop. I basically would teach in a city for a few days, hang around an extra day and work on the business, and then jump on a plane and go somewhere else. So really, after 10 years, I was I was pretty cooked and ready for a new life and wanted to have more freedom and more time. So I sold my shares in the company, and like I said, moved to Venice Beach and started a whole new life.
1: And so, what was uh, your first uh, like mission when you moved out to Venice Beach? Uh,
0: health, <laughs> mental health, physical health—really, uh, just you know, taking care of my body. I think I was heading towards an ulcer. I had a pretty bad ad- acid reflux. So I started doing a lot of yoga. I spent a lot of time uh, walking and being on the beach and uh, sleeping and going to the movies, all the things I didn't have a chance to do. I started to eat healthier. I lost a bunch of weight. Um, I did CrossFit uh, for a bit. So I was really just exploring what my life wanted to be. And then uh, pretty soon after that, I started some business consulting, using my skills I had of building this international corporation to help small businesses expand I helped them with their books. I helped them with their technology. And so that's where I started in 2014.
1: When um, you went to go just kind of better your, your own uh, life, you ca- you mentioned a few different uh, things you tried. Is there anything uh, specific that you found worked better than, than uh, you know the other things?
0: I loved CrossFit. Um I don't know if you know much about CrossFit, but it's I loved it and it also was not great for my 45-year-old body. You know, I was trying to keep <laughs> up with the 20 and 25-year-olds and I, you know, I could have trouble walking stairs. It was amazing and not quite for me. Um I I met my fiance um in March of 2015 uh, and um she is a functional nutritionist, so she taught me about food. I got off gluten, I got off soy, I got off uh dairy. So that's really helped my health a lot and dropped a bunch of weight from that. So really just living a healthier lifestyle. And you know, where I was working 70, 80-hour weeks for years, now I max out about 35 hours per week, which is really the best part. I, I don't feel the same level of stress. I have more enjoyment, I have more energy, and I feel more functional in the world.
1: It's, uh, it sounds like there's like a, a three piece process here of, of physical, um, you know, physical health and then the, the nutritional health and then the, you know, just the, the work life balance to kind of get yourself right. Uh, for, for me and for like, I feel like that cause I, I have a, I feel like I have a good work life balance, mm-hmm. uh, but the, it's always, um, like a kicker like is it the food that i'm ingesting or the, the like the the lack of exercise the type of exercise i'm doing what's the so what do you think was the bigger contributor to to you know physically getting healthier was it the 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 nutritional health that you were doing or was it the um, actual physical
0: exercise definitely a combination uh, pretty much all the research and like i said i'm engaged now to a, a brilliant woman who knows everything about food um, it's it, one, the world we live in, uh, unless you live in the country, but you know, most of the people in cities live really toxic lifestyles. We are surrounded by Wi-Fi. we're surrounded by electromagnetic smog. Uh, we have bad water, we have bad food, we have bad air. And so we take in a lot of toxins. And so she's has me on a supplement regiment. We turn off our we don't even actually even have Wi-Fi in the house. We came up with a whole new system. Uh, You know, Like I said, getting rid of the gluten and the dairy was huge because then my whole system could run better. Gluten is really bad for your digestion. So I always think in terms of food as the foundation for health and then find the exercise to add on top of that. If you exercise a lot but don't take care of your food, you won't get healthy. And if you take care of your food and exercise a little, you can. So I always recommend people start with their food. And they're supplements because we, like I said, we live in a toxic society. Well,
1: and and I think the, the food balance is that's, you know, breaking habits, which are, Mm -hmm. you know, it's always hard to do like that's, I have a portion control issue. I know this. And when I'm, when I'm in the right mindset, I can, I can eat the right amount of, you know, the right amount of food versus eating, you know, 10 tacos in a sitting, uh, yeah. I, it's interesting so i can't imagine a world where i don't have wi-fi <laughs> uh is is it What what's the reason that i have wi-fi well,
0: these are just theories but i believe it and um there's a lot of research and you know really this is the government and and health doesn't want you to know this because wi-fi is pretty toxic and you know, I'm really nervous about the effect of phones. And like, smoking, you know, was provided by the government to our soldiers and, and not really think is to, and now look at it. And I think Wi-Fi is going to be the next smoking. And, you know, we, we don't have Wi-Fi in the house. We have a system where we can actually plug into walls and use electricity as our network, um, which worked great in our house. And it's, we don't sleep. We turn everything off. And it's just much healthier. Now, how do you know? Like, I have to have faith. And belief in my fiancé and her viewpoints, but I am sleeping better now than I ever have before, and I think the Wi-Fi and the clean living um, is a big piece of the puzzle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I don't know. Uh, I have no. I, I guess I don't. I got. I don't really know uh, about too much i know the the technical aspect of wi-fi of setting mm-hmm. it up and whatnot uh, but like i don't um i i can definitely get on board with like when i eat better and when i'm and uh and i'm physically uh healthier it is definitely a, a game changer when it comes to sleeping mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, now, I'm, I'm I'm of the mindset of uh, I, I either need four hours of sleep or about 10 hours of sleep mm-hmm. uh, because it just it feels like I'm, I'm just anything less or more or in between. I feel like I'm not 100 uh, percent. What's because uh, obviously a good night's rest is going to is going to kind of set the pacing for the day. What is, you know, as someone that, that studies uh, or and has, is engaged as someone that's uh, of a healthy mindset, what's like an ideal amount of sleep?
0: I, I really just sleep until I'm done. And that changes night to night. We go to sleep relatively early. We try to go to sleep between uh, 10 and 11 p.m. We're on the Pacific Coast. Uh, I used to, before I met Morgan, I would stay up till 11, 30, 12, 1, you know, watching TV or reading or being out. And so going to sleep at 10 and 11. I also live in a much quieter place. Moved from Venice Beach to the valley and so it's infinitely quieter, which I think helps. And then I, I try to sleep uh, seven hours. I usually sleep seven to eight hours depending on the night. Um, and I just sleep until I wake up. So I rarely use my alarm to wake up. Sometimes you have a flight or something different. Of course, I use an alarm. But most of the time, it's really based on my body clock, and my body clock tends to wake me up after seven to eight hours of sleep. And so that feels good to me, and everyone's different. And, you know, your sleep changes as you get older and as your body changes as well. So I would just try going to sleep a little bit earlier And then uh, set your alarm for, let's say, you know, if you go to normally get like six or seven hours of sleep, go to sleep an hour earlier and just see if you can sleep that eight or nine hours and see what happens.
1: I'm uh, envious of the internal clock because if I didn't have an alarm set, I could easily sleep for 12 That's out. Yeah. I mean, I guess I also am lucky in the fact that my kids won't let that happen either. So, uh, but if, you know, if, if without kids or without an alarm clock, uh, I'm just, you know, I could sleep the day away. I would probably wake up eventually. Like, I think my internal, uh, alarm clock is, uh, around 11 or 11 AM, maybe noon. Uh, it's, I mean, and I guess maybe a lot of the older, maybe it's not. I don't know because it's been so long, it's been at least five years since I've had the opportunity to sleep that late. Um, but yeah, having I, I know a ton of people with that have that internal sleep, uh, uh, sleep clock, and that it seems like such a, a great thing to have because I feel like I would be way more productive if I didn't rely on an alarm clock that I can easily hit snooze on.
0: Mm. Yep.
1: Uh, so now that you're living this healthy lifestyle and you're you're, you're consulting, uh, you're podcasting, and you're you said you're about eighty uh, episodes deep into that. Yep. And did did, um, did that lead into the book, or how, how did the book come about?
0: Huh. Well, let's see. I really didn't want to write a book when it came down to it, and then it just kept coming up for me. And it just kept, you know, I kept seeing the same themes inside relationships when it came to men and women. And I have, you know, I spent, you know, 14 years building a business on relating. And so I have some really specific viewpoints of how to communicate, how to be in better relationship that work. And in my viewpoint, you know, relating between men and women is bad and getting worse as time goes on. And so I just had some some views, and so I started doing the podcast, and then I was using the podcast as content, and then I went to the Hay House Writers Conference in Las Vegas where they offered a free contract, they had a contest for a free contract for one member of the audience, so that's due October 9th, so I've been working the last five months on writing a book proposal for Hay House, and it's been great because it's really brought a lot of discipline to my writing and a lot of discipline to the book. And so I'm really excited to see what happens when I submit it.
1: So with with uh, writing, is, is that something that you have done before or had a passion for, or is it, it just kind of came together for this uh, Hay House project?
0: I've been a writer my entire life. I love words. I love imagery. So it's you know writing this is relatively easy. I mean, the book proposal is harder because you have to think in terms of uh, – data market analysis and you have to think of competitive analysis so the book proposal has challenges but for me writing has always been relatively easy and I, you know I've written blogs I've written stories and uh so yeah relatively straightforward
1: and so so where's the origin for that you know that's that's a another creative outlet or another outlet that not many people do really so where's your origin with um wanting to write
0: when I was young my dad brought home uh, one of the first laptop computers it was a zenith i think it was called and it had a really basic word it was dos computer and you know i'm 47 so this is in the you know 80s mid 80s and i just loved the process of it and then i just had all you know desire to write stories and so as a kid i just would write down like stories like my dog I had to put to sleep. So I wrote a story about that. I was a football player and I had feelings about that. And then I wrote a book when I was uh, 17 or 16 to 18 years old. It was called The Man of No Consequence. And it was kind of my high school experience, very sophomoric and very you know basic. But I it had a little twist at the end and got some tears out of people. And so I just really have always enjoyed the process of of writing, and uh, it 's just been a way to communicate what 's in the inside out
1: and so when you 're you know in all the years you 've been writing, do you have like a preferred genre a preferred uh, medium that you like to write in
0: i I, I moved away from fiction stories um, I write stories for medium i 've written stories for blogs um, i 've written stories about my life, autobiographical. Uh, that'll come out eventually someday because I've, like I said, I've led a very interesting life. So it's been pretty much nonfiction, and then the book proposal I'm writing is called Unhidden, a book for men and those confused by them. So it's really a book for men because there has there aren't that many great books out there for men. Uh, David Data published in '97. No more Mr. Nice Guy in 2003. Um, Dr. Robert Augustus Masters wrote one a few years ago that's really good to be a man but there really aren't many great manuals out there for men how to be a healthy man in today's society and so I felt called to write the book that I thought was missing in the world
1: and so can you like go into a little bit more detail about what the the book is is about like what do you mean it's uh, like to be living a, a healthy male lifestyle.
0: Well, there's, in my opinion, in my experience of coaching and teaching, uh, men are really having a rough challenge of the 21st century. And what's happening is a few things. One is the technological revolution, the smartphone, has had men be more isolated. There was a Boston Globe article uh, that came out that men fear more isolation than they do cancer, like they fear dying alone rather than uh, getting sick, which was interesting, um, also, uh, the gender gap um, the between men and women is really shifting, and women are pulling ahead in many things. Uh, one thing, the pay gap is shrinking. Uh, more women are being hired out of college than men, and um, men are more confused in the dating world. The Tinder revolution has really confused a lot of things. And there's a bunch of other things. Um, free porn that came out 2000, 2008 has heavily negatively impacted the world. And I could go on that for a while um, and really affected the men's sexuality, uh, problems with erectile dysfunction. And so men are really facing a lot of challenges. So the book is a way to, uh, the called Unhidden. The concept is how to bring what's inside out, how to be fully authentically who you are, how to uh, succeed living out in the world then there's a section on how to interact with a modern woman who's shifting really quickly and a lot of men are confused by them and then the last section is about how to find your purpose how not to follow your father's path how to really find who you truly want to be in the world and so that's the last section of how to find out who you want to be
1: it is um it is interesting to to kind of i guess have it spelled out to you about the all the modern day uh, technology and and whatnot that really is kind of a distracting or or has just changed um society, you know uh, for for both genders and mm-hmm. for everybody but um I never uh, I would never put two and two together about uh free porn being a thing that. Hinders. Oh my god. So let's oh my goodness. so so let's explain that a little bit.
0: Well first off, let me just recommend highly, highly, highly recommend. There's an audible book, ebook, uh sorry, audio book called the Butterfly Effect. Uh that's free on Audible. And I listened to it and it just blew me away. It's beautifully done and it's extremely scary because the concept is the butterfly effect, you know, it's of course from Chaos Theory from the you know last um the 1980s 1990s uh-huh. that a butterfly flaps its wings in asia and it causes a storm in south america so you know that's called the butterfly effect yeah and the concept of the book was that there was this one guy named fabian who figured out how to make money off of free porn in 2000 2008 and The effect of that was that people were just uploading free porn. One, it wiped out the whole porn industry. But second, it made it available, hugely available to teenagers and preteens. And it's negatively affected the health. So one stat they brought up during this butterfly effect was uh, erectile dysfunction from 16 to 21 used to be 2 to 3% now there's reports of 21 to 20, 20 to 22% erectile dysfunction of of men 16 to 21 and they they can't totally match it but it really arose at the same time as free porn so the hypothesis is that porn has a negative impact on the brain guys are watching it and they're losing touch with their biology. They're also losing touch with attractiveness to you know, normal women. They're equating sex with what they view on porn, and so it's really messing up uh, how young men are viewing sexuality compared to, when I was growing up in the 70s, you found a, a Playboy magazine in your dad's garage and you were happy, and so now it's totally different.
1: Uh- that's that's fascinating because I the and and I don't I guess uh, I don't know why but like the way I view like technology is like when I was I, I'm uh, about 15 years younger than you I'm I'm mm-hmm. 33 uh, and um, for me uh, like I look at technology and and kind of like look at uh, my kids and whatnot and it's like well. When I was a kid, like if I got bullied, it was at least like to my face, mm-hmm. uh, and like that's how I I don't, I, and maybe it's because I, I just I like I grew literally grew up with the internet. Like it was, mm-hmm. I remember when AOL 2.5 uh, was 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 out, and and I, I was like, it, it's I'm that generation that grew up with it, but I never. Yeah. Um, I don't, I guess I didn't suffer any of those consequences at all. Cause I've never even heard, I, I've never equated you know, that free porn to, to, uh, to disadvantage. But I do see like as a parent now, like it's, I see well now that worries me that I didn't even think about preteens or teens, uh, just having access to it. Uh, but, uh, more so like, you know, so like I was saying, you know, getting bullied, uh, to your face versus cyberbullying is yeah. like a major uh seems like a much much bigger issue these days and um you know the the cyberbully can't see the effects that he's sure. that he's having
0: well I mean just look at you know the ubiquitous use of phones mm-hmm. and you know, parent- parents are the same way you know we're always on our phones, and mm-hmm. kids are seeing that you go to restaurants and what do parents do? They don't give a kid a book. They give a kid a phone. They give a kid a screen. And so people are really growing up with an addiction to their screens. I, I'm just as guilty as everyone else. I'm not trying to put myself above anyone, but it is it is a society we've, we've built in. There's a comfort level. You're sitting in a waiting room, you're bored. What do you do? You pull out your phone. You know, You look for a hit. And there's biological effects of phones. You know, you look at Facebook and see if anyone liked your posts because it's a hit of dopamine. There's there's a lot of science behind the effect of electronics that didn't exist. And to go back to the earlier conversation, we don't really know the negative benef- the negative effect of of cellular technology on our biology. And many people really suspect that having a phone next to your head. Is radiation and cancer is going to come down the line. So there's a lot to really pay attention to and take care of, especially for the kids with underdeveloped bodies being, you know, surrounded by this electromagnetic smog.
1: Yeah, I mean that I the the cell phone next to your head and the radiation thing is definitely like that. I've definitely heard of, and and I I feel like that was uh, again. I kind of grew up with with cell phones. Like I, I when I was a kid, that it was like the the first car phone Mm -hmm. and then and then it became a tank of a cell phone and then it became uh you know getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you had computers that were in you know in the palm of your hand and they got a little bit bigger again um but the and i mean i i that i feel like there could be some truth too because it just it makes sense for Mm -hmm. sure uh and like it is one of like And I I say this being the kid that used to play a Game Boy in the backseat of a car, Uh but like it's all it's weird to me when uh, kids, you know, five to 10 or even even like up to 14 or 15 before they have a job, like when they have phones, Mm. because to me, uh, that's not necessary. I didn't have a phone until I had a job. Uh, but I guess I also had a game boy. I don't know. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird kind of like tightrope to walk, uh, with this generation that is literally, like you said, like it's their faces and a phone all the time. And, and my, I mean, me too. Like, it's not like, I I try not to, I try to Mm -hmm. be, uh, way more, um, uh, like uh, aware that I'm doing it. And I, so, so I try to you know, turn it off or, or throw it in my back pocket or something, so that I'm not tempted to, you know, just eh, I'm sitting here doing nothing while mm-hmm. the kids are playing. Let me pop my nose on my phone.
0: Right. I do this. I try to do the same thing. You know, when the kids are around, when my fiance is around, the phone goes down. It's a yeah. it's a new response, and I really am happy about it. And they go away and they run into the house and they come in later, and I'm on my phone. I'm like, that's just a signal, and so it's just raising my awareness. It's talking about it. You know, my nine-year-old stepdaughter wants a phone, and she's like, hey, you know, "Some kids in her school have phones at nine years old." Yeah. So it's 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 a changing world that we have to just pay attention to.
1: Yeah, and like I and there's I've had um, friends of mine who who have given their kids whether they're like I know my nephew uh, he just turned ten and he's had a phone for a couple months now, um, uh, and I, I I haven't I don't understand why, uh, yeah. but and there's but there's other friends that have that have you know. Eight or nine or ten, even eleven-year-olds that have phones, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, we're we're not the one that's always going to pick him up from soccer practice, so uh, you know he needs to have a phone so that he knows who's picking him up, or so mm-hmm. that you know if someone forgets him, it's yeah, and and that like I was like I can get behind the logic on that, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it, it's the, and that's like tightrope, that's the weird tightrope of, you know. When we were kids it just wasn't an option to have so that's why we didn't have it but but now that it's an option is it the right option mm-hmm. is it is it it's a weird tightrope that um I guess our parents had their own ch- their own tightropes to walk but I feel like we have it harder
0: True true enough <laughs> Uh
1: so what's so as you uh finish up this bo- book proposal what else do you have on the uh, horizon
0: well, I'm, I'm building on my consulting practice. I I, I have two sides in my brain. I have a split personality, or as my branding person likes to say, two sides of a coin. So I have a very successful business consulting. I help people with their businesses. I have uh, clients in Boulder and, and Washington and New York, and I do all that remotely. So that's a really great part. Uh, so building on my, pra- my business consulting, uh, once the book is complete, the book proposal is done, I'll work on that. And then speaking career is really the next thing online. I really like to do a TED talk down the line. I'd like to build a speaking career. But having a book before the speaking career, I've been told, is really beneficial. So I'm being patient with that. Um, I do, I've done uh, talks at festivals and locations. I'm going to Seattle in October to do a talk um, with one of my clients. So it's really uh, just building the business consulting, building my life coaching. Uh, increasing the podcast by doing guest stars like at places like this, learning new skills, and uh, really enjoying a healthy work-life balance.
1: And I do because you know we not that this show is necessarily a podcast about podcasts, but mm-hmm. uh, it is you know it, podcast is a, a big passion of mine and whatnot. Um, what is because we didn't really dive fully into what tough love is. No. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about that since, you know, you just you, know, you are trying to uh, put a focus on that?
0: Sure. Well, tough love. Uh, I, it's kind of how I coach and teach. Tough love is the kind of truth you don't really want to hear, but you kind of do. It hurts when it goes in, but then it feels good because the truth is so raw. It's the part of yourself you can't see for yourself that your best friends or, you know, someone you trust tells you or like a college teacher And it changes your life. And I think it's really missing. I think we live in a very polite society where people aren't telling each other the truth. So the concept of tough love is the truth that needs to be said to set you free. The format of the call, it's uh, every Thursday at 10 a.m. PST. I use a technology called Zoom, which is sort of like Skype on steroids. You can click on the link. And then you go to the show and you can watch me live and there's you know 10 to 20 other people watching you can see their faces i do a topic um on something i'm interested in at the moment from relationship to sexuality to communication to business so i do a 20-minute rant on the topic then i invite someone on the line to do live coaching in the second half of the show and so i coach them on that topic so it's really fun it's interactive it's kind of fast it's the fastest forty minutes of my week, and it's a great time.
1: It's uh, so you you do your show live, you stream it live. Yes, that is um, and that, that's something that was you know all the all these years ago when podcasting first started was not really a big option. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's something that as soon as it really became an option, and and I got hip to it, like it it influences how I do my podcast today. You know, mm-hmm. I don't live stream anymore uh but i also like what live streaming i think one of the great things about that is that because it's live like whatever you say is out there already so mm-hmm. that instantly cuts your editing time down you're, you're you're now listening and that's like huge for me is is you know um as much as i love to tell people to like go out there and host your own podcast uh, there are a couple caveats, and as eventually it's going to turn into if you're it's, if it's something that you end up loving and you're passionate about, it's going to turn into a pricey uh, project, and it's also time consuming because it's anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, you know, of you sitting down and recording an episode, and then you have to spend that same amount of time editing that that mm-hmm. uh, episode, and so for some people, it takes them twice the amount of time to edit because they're mm-hmm. uh, really meticulous the way they edit, and I think that's. You know, I think every podcaster should live stream because I mm-hmm. think it changes your world. Yeah. Um, have you done, have you always live streamed it or have I you have. done a mix?
0: I always have. Um, I just love, I have a teacher and I've been teaching for 14 years at this point. So I'm good in front of an audience. I'm quick on my feet. You know, I'm funny. I have the words come to me really quickly. So I love the action of the live podcast um for me to sit and record one just sounds horrible it sounds torturous um so I'm on edge um I and then what I do is uh I do my show on Thursday I then take the audio and pop and then do a little cleaning uh add an introduction add some music but I don't do much editing unless I say yeah. something really bad which happens from time to time yep, yep. and then I publish it every Monday so the the podcast is polished a little bit but really not a lot I really like the raw aspect yep. of the show
1: yeah, and that's something that, like, you know, uh, I, I think is what we, what I've done since I've live streamed is is I, I don't edit out content. Unless, like you said, it's something just way over the top that me or a guest has said. Um, but it's just, it's giving that final polish so that when the people who are seeking it out on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you're listening to podcasts these days, uh, they, they get something that's, uh, that just is crisp. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, uh, Robert, before we let you go, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you, where they can find your podcast and everything else that you have going on?
0: Uh, the best way to find me is toughlove.live, T-U-F-F love.live. That's where you can find uh, all information about me my coaching my teaching schedule um, how to help me with the book so yeah just go to toughlove.live. Uh, you can there's a link there to my iTunes it's also there um, and you can you can actually listen to the shows either via my website or via iTunes
1: and and speaking of uh, you remind me of live. Uh, have you done or are you considering doing like a more um like like an actual live show where you go to like a venue of some sort and do the show like on a stage or something
0: oh yeah yes i mean i love teaching live i'll you know if anyone's out there looking for a good speaker i've been doing this for 14 years i'm pretty good um, so I'll travel anywhere, you know, that works uh, to do a live show. So I can do uh, speeches, I can do talks, I can do workshops, and also I'd love to do my podcast out in the world. It'd be super fun.
1: Yeah, it's, I'd say that's something that I, uh, for the first eight to nine years of my my podcasting career, I only had the opportunity to do once, and then uh, starting this show up, we were able, to, we've been able to do it six to ten times, and nice. it's it's such a fun experience. Um, because c- it's even it's even more different than doing it streaming live because it's right. it's it's uh, you actually are in the same room and you feel that vibe of people. Mm-hmm. It's um I've been lucky enough to, to have this type of podcast where it's just me and one person or me and a couple of people talking at uh, live streaming and live audience and they they each are cool in their own unique way. Um but there's really there's something real special about doing it live on a stage yeah uh, so yeah definitely if, if you have the opportunity or if anyone out there wants to bring tough love uh to to uh your your podcasting or comedy venue uh you know hit hit them up at toughlove.live live because uh i don't think you'll be disappointed i know robert won't be disappointed it's 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 a good time thank you uh much. robert thank you for doing the show
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate it.
1: Not a problem. Uh, if you know, As a reminder, go and check out uh, toughlove.live for more information about Robert and what he's up to with his podcasting, his speaking events, and everything he just described here today. Uh, you can find Everything is Awesome, like I said, on Facebook and Twitter at Real Awesome Pod. You can also find us on Instagram at Awesome Podcast. You can find us on AwesomePodcast.com. We are part of the Core Temp Arts Podcast Network. Uh, on Uh I keep forgetting to say this, but leave a five-star review on iTunes. That's always appreciated. Uh, until next time, I'm Kev, and this is Everything is Awesome. We've been awesome! Thank you for listening to the CoreTemp Arts
0: Podcast Network. To listen to more Quartemp Arts shows, visit QuartempArts.com.